Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We are located in Collinsville, Virginia. We are glad you joined us today. If you head over to our webpage, you can find more ways to serve, more sermons like this, as well as opportunities to support this ministry through giving. We pray God's blessing on the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Amen.
Will you please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel lesson for today? Today we'll be reading from Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, whenever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased, and they promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us today through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. This preaching thing is starting to get real now. This two weeks in a row is a whole different, different dynamic. Um, this morning, as we continue to move forward with our sermon series on the book, The Last Week, um, and for those of you that might not have been here the whole time, this book takes us through the last week of the life of Jesus according to the book of Mark. So just for a quick recap, I want to catch you up on what we've gone through and where we've been. We have witnessed the entry into Jerusalem of two kingdoms on Palm Sunday, where we started the series. Jesus came from the west to bring the kingdom of God, while Pilate arrived from the east, bringing the kingdom of man and the Roman rule. On Sunday, Cameron asked us which kingdom we are a part of and what that means. Then on Monday, Cameron shared with us about the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Jesus found no fruit in either. 
And Cameron challenged us to practice justice, not just to show up for worship. Last week, we looked at Tuesday. I'm really impressed that we could fit Wednesday. I guess that's the longest one up there. But on Tuesday, Jesus was challenged while teaching in the temple. And we focused on the Pharisees and Herodians' question of whether taxes should be paid. Jesus used a Roman coin to teach that they should give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. As we worked our way through the passage, it became clear that while the image and impression on the coin was that of Caesar, the image of humankind is God's. So in reality, Jesus was saying that nothing belongs to Caesar. It is all God's. We were challenged to give to God what is God's, ourselves. Today, we will look at Wednesday. In a way, I believe that we have definitely arrived at hump day. We are at a pivotal point in the last week now, and I actually envisioned it this way. If you can imagine, there's this huge setup of dominoes in an elaborate pattern. Today is the day that the first domino gets hit. Jesus has been very clear in his teaching and speaking, and he has openly shaken the establishment. There are crowds gathered around him all the time, and they are amazed and astonished by him. In today's scripture lesson, there are three different people or groups that have been interacting with Jesus. But they have all heard or not heard Jesus in different ways. In studying the passage this week, and as I looked deeper and began asking myself questions, it appeared to me that just like for us today, coming face to face with Jesus elicits a response. There is a moment of truth, a defining moment, if you will, a time to decide if we are in or we are out if we will follow our head or follow our heart. It is pretty clear today who did what in this passage. Let's begin with the religious leaders. They've been trying to trap Jesus and arrest him, but they have not been successful. Their patience is now wearing thin they feel that Jesus must die. It is inevitable. But they still fear the crowds and the potential for rioting if they don't handle things properly. Rationally, they can't understand how this man who is speaking boldly and shaking up the system could possibly be the answer. But while they feel threatened and they want to eliminate Jesus, they understand what Jesus is claiming. They have listened to him. Now they have determined that the way to go is stealth. 
Let's just find out where he will be away from the crowds and we will just figure out a way to go and get him. All they need is one person to help them. One of Jesus' followers willing to betray him. But who? For which disciple does it make sense to make an alliance with? Who is looking for the back door? As we skip to the end of the passage, we find Judas Iscariot. I think it's very interesting. Mark has been disciplined throughout his book of always identifying Judas as one of the 12. He says that every time he mentions Jesus, the next part is, sorry, one of the 12. And I think what he's trying to tell us is that while it is very easy to vilify Judas, he was always one of the 12 and followed Jesus from the beginning. I think as we consider why Judas would betray him, the first response we could quickly come up with is that Judas was a thief who kept the community purse for Jesus and his followers and had access to their money. Judas, it appeared, liked to help himself to some of that money. So obviously, if he was betraying Jesus, it was clearly for the money. But to me, the passage really doesn't read that way. It says the chief priests were pleased and promised to give him money. It doesn't say that Judas approached them to get money. I would like to offer a couple other possibilities this morning. First, what if Judas thought this nonviolent movement of Jesus just wasn't working and he didn't agree with it? Is it possible that he thought being known to be one of Jesus's followers meant that when Jesus was ultimately arrested and punished, that Judas feared he would be as well? Is it possible that just like throughout Jesus's ministry, Judas was worried about Judas and tried to get what he could out of the deal? To me, Judas is a very interesting character. And I have often struggled when I think about Judas. Because at this point in the story, there has to be a Judas. You will later see that Peter also betrayed Jesus and all the disciples fled as well. The only difference is that Judas never came back. It appears at this point that birds of a feather flock together. The chief priests and Judas are both looking for something found in the other. The chief priests want an in to take Jesus under the radar and Judas wants to get what he can and not get in trouble or face being arrested. Both of these parties have heard Jesus and they understand what is coming. They have just chosen to oppose Jesus. Then along comes the woman with the alabaster jar of costly ointment of nard. Make no mistake about it, as we heard last week, that a denarius, which was what the Roman coin was, 
was the equivalent of a day's wages. So if we estimate that in our own time, say $100, $200, whatever a day's wage is, but think about this. Scripture tells us that this nard was worth 300 denarii. That's basically a year's salary, if we want to put it in that thinking. That would be 30 to 60,000 in that jar in today's money. What would 30 to 60,000 do in your bank account this morning? And would you be willing to drain that thing and pour it on Jesus' head? So think about the, the enormity of what's happening here. This is probably something that's been passed down in her family. This is probably a prized possession, probably the most prized possession that she has. And she makes an incredible gift to Jesus. She has heard Jesus clearly. She has led with her heart, not her head, and she has offered everything she has to Jesus. While those who witness this, including the disciples, begin to scold her for wasting what could have been sold and giving to the poor, including G uh, Judas, who I would say there's no question was hoping that that money would wind up in the community purse so he could put a little Judas tax on it. I guess he was upset, right? Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a great service for me. What Jesus is really saying is, she gets it. And really, at this point in time, I would have to say she's the first person that Jesus can really say, she gets it. You will not always have me, but she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Are you not listening? Jesus said. That's basically what he's saying. The disciples were always there, yet they still don't get it. The woman acted on what she had heard and understood, not just by sticking her toes in the water, but by offering Jesus the most precious possession that she must have had. Jesus edifies her as one that will be remembered forever. In some ways, she could be argued to be the first Christian. She acted on her faith, she offered her heart and all she had to Jesus. Jesus had to be relieved that finally someone was with him, understood what he'd been trying to tell them, and someone that realized the end was coming near. As we grow closer to the cross, we are being asked to make a decision on Wednesday. Like the chief priests, like Judas, or perhaps like the woman who anointed Jesus. This is a defining moment, a moment of truth, if you will. The chief priests and Judas had heard what Jesus had to say. They understood, 
but they chose their own agendas. The chief priests now have a way to achieve their objective. Judas now thinks he's immune from trouble and he has a little extra money to boot. The plan is in motion. On the other hand, the woman who anointed Jesus has chosen her path as well. She is following Jesus with all that she has. Our challenge today is to consider our own decision. Will we think of ourselves and what we want in our own flesh? Will we try to continue to do the right thing based on what we have always done? Do we choose things of the world over following Jesus with all that we have? I pray today that we will offer everything we have to Jesus. I often think of the vow that we take when we join the Methodist Church. I pray to uphold it with my prayers, my presence, my gifts, my service, and my witness. That about covers it, doesn't it? I pray that we will realize that everything is God's, and through Jesus, God wants to redeem the world. As we journey towards the cross, are we listening? Do we understand? Do we get it? What are we holding back today? The plot against Jesus is in motion. Where will you stand? Let's decide to do what we can do as a good service to Jesus. Now is a defining moment. Choose the world or choose Jesus. May we choose correctly today. Amen.